One aspect of loneliness is actually being alone, uh, which means being isolated or not having social contact or social engagement in any which way, or a very limited amount of social contact and social engagement. But the other is also the fact that loneliness becomes a way somebody feels, or uh, almost like a trait that we have within us, uh, which means that we might have social contact. or might be engaging on a regular basis with people but we might still feel lonely and we might still feel isolated therefore the quality or the perception of the social interaction that we're engaging with or the fact that it's fulfilling or not fulfilling to us um is also what makes an impact on how we feel um or how alone we feel or how lonely we feel um and it's not just you know sometimes i think we think it's going to be as clear as being alone and uh, that isn't the case human beings are social to a fault we hate being alone according to a 2014 study by leading scientific journal some of us would rather receive electric shocks than be left alone even if it's just a matter of 15 minutes if this was when times were still precedented our current situation is a total nightmare the pandemic rages on forcing us apart as we practice social distancing A New York Times piece beautifully captures the strange circumstance. It says, and I quote here, "Most of us are perennially short of time, and now we are left hanging in it. What choice do we have now but to be alone with our thoughts?" Hi, and welcome back to season two of Habits Matter. I'm your host Shreyasi Singh, founder and CEO of Harappa Education. On this episode, meet three people. therapist, a monk, and an inspiring 23-year-old with a message for the world. We find out why do we get lonely? Is one man's loneliness another person's solitude? And what can we learn about isolation from the masters of it? Hi everybody, my name is Nandini Bhanot. I am an econ graduate from SRCC, um and after that I lived for one year in rural india as part of the sbi youth for india fellowship i am 23 years old i'm currently um living by myself in delhi with an autoimmune disease if you remember during the initial days like or the initial one month there was a lot of panic and hoarding so when i eventually went to the grocery stores next to my my home um i found that there were no vegetables i could get what was really challenging for me was first of all not not being around like family members maybe who could maybe go out for me instead of me to get those groceries and also um people not really understanding what the thing was because if you look at me another thing with the autoimmune diseases is that they're invisible people can look completely fine completely normal but they have that going on and it's a very big struggle for you in your daily life like i'm dealing with it on the daily i'm seeing the things but not everybody around me is um hi i am aditi call i am a art space therapist and a psychologist and i've been leading the art space therapy program for the last 8 years at fortis healthcare loneliness comes in two forms one is it's reactive which means it's caused by something a transition a big transition difficult transition in life and the other is it's chronic which means we've been feeling lonely for a long period of time and again that is something that could definitely be aggravated at this point 
even before the pandemic, I felt kind of isolated. But then there were ways to hide that because you can still live a normal life. And then with the pandemic, because anxiety really increased for everybody, but also for me, and then it further isolated me, I think that was the hardest time. Difficult circumstances are alienating as it is. Couple them with forced isolation and we have a recipe for compounded loneliness. There's some evidence that being alone impacts our mental health, especially for the younger and more vulnerable of us. Solitary confinement or putting prisoners behind bars for long periods with little to no contact with others has long been deemed inhuman. It deprives the social animal its fundamental need, causing and worsening paranoia, rage, palpitations, appetite changes, and lower levels of brain activity. However, that doesn't mean the reverse is true. You can be surrounded by hundreds of people and still feel very lonely. Being surrounded by people doesn't just mean that you're not lonely, right? Loneliness is like not having that connection with people. And it's, it's an inherent need in humans to have that connection. Like in Maslow's needs of hierarchy, it comes right after the basic needs of like sleep, shelter, and food and drink. The quality of the relationship with the family or with social interactions is important. And there's a higher chance that if the quality is good, that we'll be happier and more fulfilled. It's not the quantum. Uh, we don't have to have 20,000 people, but if we have that one really close friend or that, you know, a couple of really supportive family members where the environment feel po feels positive, um, loneliness actually reduces or there are lesser chances of somebody moving into a space that would be chronically uh, lonely or isolated. Contemporary entrepreneurship literature often talks about the bruising loneliness of leadership. Is it really lonely at the top? I never quite understood what these articles meant till I became a founder myself. Even when surrounded by chaos, high energy and back-to-back -back meetings with people filling your days and your calendar to the brim, you can never fully explain to anyone how you feel. Suspended as you often are between soaring, uplifting optimism, or certainly projecting it, and deep worries, anxieties, and fatigue, it's not like you will hide this from those around you. It's just that you know that your individual need for connection isn't as important as the collective need for energy and progress, at least in that moment. Also, why have more people worry? That feeling of being alone is ironic because anyone who manages teams and companies will know all eyes are on you all the time. How do you feel alone with so many people around? There's a beautiful concept of the balcony and the dance floor, one of my favorites from our curriculum at Harappa, which I turn to for help to deal with this strange dichotomy. The idea is to take a step back from all that is happening by heading to a mental balcony, a place where you become a distant observer of yourself. Then take stock of the situation, what's happening on the figurative dance floor far away. Finally, come back to where you were, See yourself in the middle of the chaos, center yourself and come back again. It definitely helps me feel less alone. Of course, we differ in our need for intimacy and connection, which can mean entirely different things to different people. We feel lonely when we perceive a lack of connection. 
that means there are as many definitions of loneliness as there are people in the world. You could be lonely in a swarming crowd of people. You could be just fine with a friend or two. And if you're really special, you could experience the magic of solitude all by yourself without a single soul around. Hello, uh, my name is Palgarin Poche and uh, I'm a Buddhist teacher from Ladakh and uh, I live mostly in Ladakh uh, doing my practices and my retreats. In uh, our tradition, we have to do this uh, intense solitary retreat. Right now I'm 36, so I think I've spent at least six, uh, maybe 10 years in isolation in, uh, in total, in solitary, but that's voluntarily, <laughs> not involuntarily like the virus is forced upon us. Rinpoche found his reason for being or ikigai in solitude. Being alone has a completely different meaning for him one that transcends how most of us experience it. It's important here to emphasize the role of choice, a deciding factor in experiences of loneliness. Have you chosen to be alone like Rinpoche or is it outside your control? And if you choose to be alone, even for 10 whole years, are there other ways to stay connected? In Buddhism, every practice is based on altruism. We never do anything for our own sake. We do it for the sake of others. We gain wisdom for the sake of spreading wisdom. We generate compassion for the sake of being compassionate to others. And uh, like uh, I said earlier, when we go into retreat, we don't do it for ourselves. We do it, for, do it for the sake of others. And that keeps us inside. And in the present situation, with the COVID-19, the SARS-CoV-2 virus, and the coronavirus that is spreading everywhere, and all the chaos that is caused in the world, people facing difficulties. I think the very fact that you being at home, you limiting yourself, your interaction with other people can save lives, can put less pressure on our medical infrastructure, on our hospitals and people who are really working hard to keep us safe. So you can have that kind of like a unselfish uh, thought, unselfish thinking, which can keep you inside and which can motivate you even further to explore other avenues of altruism. Spending time on your own can help you uncover aspects of yourself you didn't know existed. Hastening the process of self-discovery, if that's what you seek. Maybe you'll find purpose in community, even a strange one. If you're thinking about all the suffering that's happening in the world, and you're thinking about all the vulnerable people, especially people with like autoimmune system, like I've heard, you know, and they're very vulnerable, especially the elderly also, those with underlying health issues. So you may have a strong uh, immune system. You may, be, you may be asymptomatic. It may not affect you at all, as, if, as we have all read in the news. It doesn't affect everybody equally. But you have contributed by staying home and saving lives. You have cut the link, at least from your side. You have to see the suffering of others and you have to imagine how it must feel. You have to learn to put yourself in the shoes of others. Only then can you generate compassion. You don't have to start big. It's also, I think, important and imperative to ask twice. Um, that if, one, if someone just says everything's okay, but you notice that everything's not okay, 
or you're feeling something's off over a couple of weeks, then it's okay to turn around and ask again or to check back in, you know, at a later stage. I think that's something we often shy away from because of our own discomfort with discomfort. Discomfort is necessary and often accompanies meaningful change. It's a sign that things aren't right and that we must act on them. The crisis we face in many ways is the biggest eye-opener of them all. By now, this sounds like a tired old cliché. But clichés become tired at all because they're used so often, and usually with good reason. Everything is impermanent. Money doesn't matter all of a sudden. Doesn't matter how rich you are, doesn't matter how rich a country is, how powerful a country is. Nobody can be immune from impermanence. Uh, there's studies in 2018 that have come up which talk about also looking at adolescents and uh, younger adults that have just moved into a working space that are also reporting loneliness, not necessarily being isolated, but uh, loneliness with lifestyle shifts. Um, there's also some research around uh, spirituality and loneliness and um, you know how a lot of people are feeling more isolated because now they're separating in a lot of different ways. Um, one could be in terms of families where you know a lot of people are now living in a more isolated, alone fashion. The other could also be uh, you know older sort of archaic uh, senses of um, religion bringing communities together is changing. Um, and now people are finding their own space and finding their own voice. But that also then takes away some elements which will, which used to be potentially a positive space for some people to congregate or get together or support each other. And it's not younger adults alone. You find a lot of research showing that it's in the elderly. If anything, the older generation was way more dependent on like social interactions. They were always meeting someone, talking to someone. So make sure that you drop in. That helps you as well. Make sure that you're like talking about current events or whatever they want to. My nanny, for example, has taken up poetry. So I'll always like once a week listen to her poems um, and understand a little bit because I'm not very like I don't understand Hindi too well. So I try my best, but at least like she has an outlet, right? And I know that and she can feel kind of connected somewhere. So I just say use technology to our advantage. I mean, we're so, so blessed in this generation to have technology like this. When you look at, you know, old school research, and when I say old school, I mean pre-COVID, um, that it talks about needing to be in the same physical space and um, to have a certain kind of face-to-face -face engagement. And now what I'm seeing is that this is possible that we, we're doing online, forget group therapy, it's an online public life, which is turning in some ways for some people into a group therapy format, which is phenomenal. So I think, um, yeah, I think some amazing things are happening on social media. The darker side is that numerous studies over time have shown that excessive use of social media is correlated with feeling lonely, anxious and depressed. Overuse can also lead to problems with attention, distractibility, and sleep disturbances. I've gone through phases of being hyper-connected on social media. Glad to say those days are behind me now. I haven't been on Facebook for months. And thanks to the behavior science principles that we use in our work at Harappa, have engineered my environment in such a way that excessive social media habits have been easier to break. You know, we're not putting up a selfie that where we're crying on social media. Um, so where does that connection or interaction, uh, where does that space for someone to say, hey, how are you feeling? Are you okay? Happen. 
because the assumption very often is you are okay. Um, because what you're posting about is okay, or in fact, it's great, or it's this fabulous throwback. We have actually masqueraded ourselves as somebody else, and then that's why we feel so restless. As human beings, we are always looking outside for happiness. It's all right to take a break and look inwards. Somehow, now that we are isolated, I'm hearing a lot of panic around the need to persistently engage. So I think somewhere we also need to remove the pressure and say it's okay. It's okay for us to spend time with ourselves, um, whether it's in being creative, whether it's with you know writing how you feel, uh, whether it's watching something, whether it's thinking of you know post the next three four months, however long this is going to go on. What am I going to do? Can I utilize this time for something productive? Whether it's in a workspace or a you know emotional space or a creative space, so I want to learn something. Uh, you know, another magical advent of um, technology and us being stuck at home is everybody is taking everything online. I took up a little bit of cooking in the beginning, and there was there were a lot of internet trends. You know, you felt very like in that way connected to the rest of the world. I also concentrated on so many other crises that were going on within India, like the migrant crisis and how I could help. That the arts and creative spaces, whatever those might be for somebody, um, are, are perhaps one of the biggest sources of creating hope um, through this period. Because there is so much we can't control right now. You know, majority of these things are out of our control. But there are some of these spaces which we can control. When we do solitary retreats, uh, when we confine ourselves uh, to pursue enlightenment, to pursue wisdom. And uh, there is nothing that prepares your mind, actually, for the kind of challenges that you face once you have locked yourself in. Because you have done that yourself, knowing that you will be in solitary confinement for such a period. But then gradually what happens is that uh, being in solitary confinement, especially if it's like your first time when you do retreat, uh, you learn as you practice. You learn sort of on the job. If you manage to master loneliness like Rinpoche, consider yourself lucky. Solitude holds benefits that are mind-boggling and mind-altering. Those who experience it in its true form sing praises of its transformative powers. At the same time, don't be bummed if you aren't quite there yet. I know I'm not. Loneliness is a human condition. It afflicts all of us and in that it brings us together. Especially now, as a collective trauma binds us. When else has the world been so distant in body, but united in challenge, uniformly without exceptions? But if you find being lonely is becoming a burden too heavy to bear on your heart, and you're experiencing extreme distress, do reach out. A big step uh, to recognize that struggle and strength are synonymous, and it's not, they don't, they're not mutually exclusive. Uh, you know, none of us will fully ever be free of all sadness or all exhaustion. And again, happiness is not a finite state. It's not, you know, a goal that we reach and one day you're like, aha, today I'm perfectly happy. It's okay to acknowledge that our traumas will exist. That when we get out of this pandemic, this is going to be a big part of our lives. And we can't erase it or um, look past it or pretend it didn't happen and be absolutely perfect. The idea is, how do I learn to carry my struggle with me? How do I negotiate and find a space to grow from that? 
um, to build from that, to add, of course, more positives and hope and support systems in my life, but to not be daunted by the fact that my struggle is going to exist. And there will be days five years later where your head will go back to a zone where it will remember that feeling of loneliness or exhaustion or struggle and that it's okay. Habits Matter is a show brought to you by Harappa Education. This episode was scripted, produced and managed by Nitin Shamsuddin, Nishan Singh and Soumya Bahuguna under the editorial direction of Seema Chaudhary. Shout out to our audio engineer Madhvan Bhattacharji and our design team Subhan Kaur, Neha Nagar and Otsal Vangchuk. You can subscribe to Habits Matter on your favorite podcast channels, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher or wherever you like to listen. Don't forget to follow Harappa Education on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube. Thank you.